Welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning. I'd like to extend a special welcome to you if you're visiting with us this morning. If you have questions about this church or about this faith, please don't hesitate to ask the people around you or the friendly and knowledgeable people at the visitor table, and they'll do their best to answer any question you might have. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there's a spark of the divine in every person. It is in the spirit of that heritage that I say, let us greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Will you please say the words with me by which we light our chalice, which is the symbol of our faith. In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek to find and to share. Good morning, everyone. I'm Michael West. I'll be your lay leader this morning. Our call to worship this morning is from uh, Lemony Snicket. Deciding whether or not to trust a person is like deciding whether or not to climb a tree because you might get a wonderful view from the highest branch or you might get covered in sap. And for this reason, many people choose to spend their time alone and indoors, where it's hard to even get a splinter. We have people in this room with backgrounds, roots, and practices in all the world's major religions, including neo-paganism, secular humanism, flat-out atheism, and probably other things I know not of. So what holds us together? How do we stay in the same room together? How do we worship together? How do we experience, think, sing together? One of the major uh, forebears of our faith named Francis David said, we need not think alike to walk alike. I think that's what he said. Maybe I'm paraphrasing. But there are many things that hold us together, and the answer is long, and I'm going to preach about something else right now. One of the things that holds us together is our mission. We wrote it on the wall, and we say it together every Sunday. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. A meditation reading from J.R.R. Tolkien, The Fellowship of the Rings. But it does not seem that I can trust anyone, said Frodo. Sam looked at him unhappily. It all depends on what you want, put in Mary. You can trust us to stick with you through thick and thin to the bitter end. And you can trust us to keep any secret of yours closer than you keep it yourself. But you cannot trust us to let you face trouble alone, and go off without a word. We are your friends, Frodo. We come to a time of meditation and quiet in our service. We breathe together into that deep place in our heart where we are who we are. We practice the stillness 
so rare. We practice listening to God, to our inner wisdom, just to our breath going in and out. Let us enter the silence together. Today we're talking about trust. The reason is because I was meeting with the Healthy Relations Covenant team in my office, and we started talking about trust, and I just kind of went on a rant. I know that's hard to imagine. And they said, you should really do a sermon about this. I said, okay. Um, I was a guest preacher one time at a congregation long ago and far away. And I had my sons with me, and they were teenagers at the time. One was in the senior high youth group, and one was in the junior high youth group at this church, hanging out while I preached. And um, at coffee hour, my older son uh, came up to me, and he had what, what was going to turn into a black eye. And I said, honey, what happened? And he said, well, we were, and the DRE was right there because she brought him to me, the director of religious education, and she was kind of nervous, I could tell. She was like, we had a, we had a trust walk. I said, what happened? He said, well, I got paired with this girl and um, blindfolded and led around this church. And um, right before you get into the coffee hour room, there's this big metal bar right in the middle of the door. And we were walking, and I heard her say, look out. And then I hit it. Look out, she said. He looks at me. I said, baby, I'm so sorry this happened to you. So I think what you can learn from this is that you shouldn't trust people you don't know. And the DRE was like, no, no, you know, that's not what we're trying to teach them. I'm like, mm. I, I enjoy meeting people who feel like you should trust everybody because it means they're lovely people, usually. And, um, and yet, uh, I, I don't think it's a good idea. But I think there are lots of different things that people mean by trust. And so I think you can trust people you don't know to a certain extent. But it makes me nervous when people say, oh, I I trust you. I know I'm a trustworthy person, so I know I'm, I'm not going to do anything awful, but, you know, do they, do they trust me to have their same values? Do, do they trust me to be as cool as they are? Because it's not, I don't know. Do they trust me to, to be who they think I am or to be who I am? And if they trust me to be who they think I am, they're going to get let down. I used to, you know, I used to have long kind of salt and pepper gray hair um, and in my 40s, and people would be so surprised when I was, I don't know, high, 
tiny bit sarcastic or edgy. And, um, and they said, you know, you look like such an earth mother. So I went to this friend of mine who cuts hair, and I said, they think I'm an earth mother. Fix it. <laughs> so he cut my hair short and dyed it blonde, and he's like, that girl is gone. <laughs> I've heard lots of people say, oh, I can't believe she did that. I thought she was my friend. And I think maybe she wasn't the friend that you would be. Or maybe she doesn't think being a friend means all the same things that you think it means. Because people have a big list of things that being a spouse means, or being a friend means, or being um, in partnership means, or being in church together means. And, and everybody doesn't necessarily have the same list. And so if you trust somebody to be who you think they should be, I think it's going to be hurtful at times, I um, sometimes on my Facebook page uh, will put a seminar question out there, and I said, so if you had a church covenant that said we will work together in an atmosphere of trust, what would that mean to you? Because that's what the covenant used to say here, and the covenant, Healthy Relations Covenant team and I were rewriting the covenant, not because there was a thing wrong with it at all, it was, it's a beautiful covenant, but we wanted to just rewrite it every three or four years so that people would understand viscerally that this is an evolving document and that we are always um, understanding in a different way and we have different situation in our congregation and we want to make a covenant that'll work with all the, you know, the situation the way it is now. And um, so I said, what would you think if that were the co in the covenant of your church? And one, you know, a lot of people in the beginning because you know they're not thinking very hard. They just go, "Oh, it means I assume good intentions on the trust on the on the part of everyone." And then other people said, "Well, I just I thought this is what broke it broke the discussion open." I think this one woman wrote, "I would imagine that it meant I could go there and no one would hurt me, emotionally or physically. They wouldn't. They would take care of my feelings." She said. And everybody who read that went. Because that is not what you can expect. I mean, people will, will try to do their best, but when you're in a group, a large community, and you're doing hard things together, like um, talking about immigration and abortion and economic justice and trying to raise money and trying to build something, that causes lots of fights. And people are going to disagree. And we don't want a covenant that says, be sweet and don't disagree, because that's not healthy. But our covenant says we'll disagree from a place of curiosity and respect. The covenant doesn't say, be sweet, like your mama used to do when you left the house in the Carolinas. My aunt used to say to her children, as soon as they left for a date, she would say, remember who you are and whom you serve. Anyway, let me get back to trust and safety. Sometimes people will assume that they have confidentiality 
that nobody's going to tell about their bad behavior. But if they do it in public, I don't think they should assume confidentiality because they did it in public. Um, every writer struggles with how much to write about the people in their family. And um, Anne Lamott is a wonderful writer who writes uh, about her own life. And she says that she struggled with this too. And then she just figured out if people didn't want to look bad in her books, they should behave better. <laughs> I was at a family reunion in North Carolina. So there were about 81 people there at the 4th of July. We were all outside and picnicking and sweating and eating fried chicken and watermelon like we do. And um, I said to one of my cousins, so all my cousins are lawyers, so I said to one of my cousins, I'm thinking about writing a book about my upbringing, about this family. And she said, oh, is my mother going to be in it? And I'm, I said, yeah, because her, her mother's the one that said, remember who you are and whom you serve. And you can't have a book without telling that. And, um, and she said, oh, cool, I can't wait to read it. And then word spread around the reunion. And I looked over there and I saw my Uncle Norman going like this. And uh, he beckoned me out around behind the house, not exactly to the woodshed, but, um, and he started shaking his finger in my face. Now, he's 80 years old, so normally when somebody shakes their finger in my face, the martial artist in me wants to grab the finger and retain control of the situation. <laughs> but I did not because I was taught to respect my elders, <sighs> even Uncle Norman. And... So he started talking about, you will not write anything embarrassing about this family. And I thought, wow, I didn't know there was anything real embarrassing about the family. He said, I know all about, he started talking about Unitarianism, and he started talking about Presbyterianism, and, you know, he just talks. And one of my cousins said, talking to Uncle Norman, is like surfing the Internet with no pop-up blocker. He, just, he does not have the same connective tissue in his conversation that we grow to expect from one another. And so you can be talking about the Gurkhas in Nepal, which is one of his favorite topics, and he knows a lot about it. And then suddenly, boop, he's talking about uh, the speed limit in Arizona or Roger Bannister breaking the four-minute mile, and then he goes back to the Gurkhas, and it's, it's a little bit um, like whiplash. And... Um, I decided that I was going to open my book with a, that scene. And um, if he's mad, he should have behaved better. Because <laughs> mostly what I wanted to write about was his family. I mean, they, they, they set off fireworks at every wedding, which I think is very charming. They brought that um, custom back from India, where they all grew up. And um, they... Have usually there's a Brahma bull in the backyard at Thanksgiving. There are 81 people at Thanksgiving too, and um, we take rides on the bull in the backyard. And and then after the turkey's being wrapped up, everybody lines up in the back hallway for a flu shot. So when you read about trust, you understand that there are many different kinds of trust and that one person's idea of trust 
is different from another person's idea of trust. And so um, sometimes you need to put the word right out there in your church covenants. If your church is in a stormy period, um, a friend of mine was in a church in North Carolina that was in a stormy period. Uh, there was no trust, really, and everybody thought the board was nefariously doing things in secret, even though they could come to the board meetings, they just didn't. And um, he was standing, I've told some of y'all this story before, he was standing in the pews after church and he was talking to somebody about this hideous piece of art that a beloved member had uh, donated. And everybody hated the art, but they loved the person. They couldn't figure out where to put it. And um, they said, well, we'll just leave it up to the decor committee and they'll figure it out where to put this. It was an owl that kind of looked like it had a stomachache. So the next Sunday, he was confronted after church by two angry church members who said, we knew it. We knew there was a secret cabal who was making all the decisions in this congregation, and we demand to know who's on there and how do we get on it and what kind of decisions are they making and what is their process for making these decisions? We want to know. And he said, what are you talking about? And they said, the core committee. We know. We heard about it. The core committee. And he was like, oh, my gosh, what, what, last Sunday? He said, we saw you talking to so-and-so about it. He was like, the, oh, it's the decor committee we were talking about. But in a church like that, you're going to need something like, we need to trust each other's good intentions in there. Um, makes all kinds of sense. So there are lots of different levels of trust. Some people, you would drive with them anywhere. You would trust them to stop at the red lights and the stop signs. You would trust them to stay in their lane, mostly. You would, but you would never tell them something that you didn't want everybody else to know. So you trust them as a passenger, but not as a secret carrier. And everybody does this. Everybody has different levels of trust. You have your experience with a person, and that kind of um, shapes your sense of how you can trust them. And when you have the same experience over and over with a person, you need to change your idea of trust if it's not a good experience. Because there are lots of people who go, oh, I know that finally she'll see the light and, and act like the good friend I know she can be. It's like, no, she's not going to do that. She's going to be herself over and over again. You can trust that. You can trust that the person is going to be who they are over and over again. Now we have a kind of a public trust where you, you know people are going to stop at red lights and they're going to not get on the plane if they have an Ebola fever and they're not going to um, do come up to you in an airport and cold cock you. But every now and then, people do that. They run red lights and they get on a plane with Ebola fever and they... They don't do right. So what are you going to do? You still have to kind of trust the social network, but you don't throw yourself unprotected into the social network. You drive defensively. You need to just be a trust in an intelligent way. Um, if you have a a friend or a person in your community who is 
taking things that they weren't given from you or from the community. If they're taking your sense of safety or if they're taking your sense of uh, well-being or if they're taking things from you or if they're um, not living up to the either unspoken or written out in House and Hall Covenant, then it, um, it behooves you to understand that, that there are things that you can do. It is not compassionate to let a person steal from you. I, I was raised on this old story of the priest somewhere in France, and he invites this um, robber to spend the night with him, and the robber runs off in the morning with um, the money of the priest, and the priest runs after him, and the, and the robber looks back, and the priest is after him with, with the two candlesticks and says, you forgot these, you forgot these. And I always thought, I was told that was a Christian story. And now I think that is not a, some way you can be unless you are living by yourself and unless something bad happens to you. Then you can have the ethics of, you slapped me, I'm going to turn my other cheek and let you slap me on the other side. Or you took my, my clothes, I'm going to give you my candlesticks too. If that, if, if you want to be like that, that is great. But if you are responsible for a family or if you're a member of a community and somebody is stealing from that community um, their sense of well-being or their sense of safety or things, then it is not compassionate to that person to let them get away with that. See what I'm saying? The Buddhists have a term called idiot compassion. And I think there's such a thing as idiot trust. You can have idiot trust or you can have smart trust. You can have idiot compassion or you can have intelligent compassion. And it doesn't mean you're less trusting or less compassionate. It just means you don't, um, you have enough compassion to respect the other person's good lights and you can call to those good lights in that person and say, we don't act like that here. I hope that makes sense. I'm, I haven't come to big conclusions about this. You're watching me have a conversation in my head about trust. So I think basically you can trust people to be who they are over and over and over again, pretty reliable. Now, you want to have a hospitable congregation, a welcoming congregation. And part of being hospitable to people of goodwill, that's what it says in our goals of this church, we're hospitable to people of goodwill, is... Um, that you make, you create a community where there is safety. There is um, only one person who's ever been banned from this community, and that happened my very first year here. There was a guy who had shoved somebody in the gallery, and he was sending me lots of angry emails, making accusations of everybody in the congregation, and telling things that weren't true. And um, in months of working compassionately with this fella. Um, and I think the president sent him a letter too, I'm not sure. But he wrote me an email and he said, I sure do understand why that guy went into that UU church in Knoxville and shot up the place. And I wrote back, don't ever come back here. You said Knoxville, that is over the line. And if I see your face, I'll call the police. 
normally I'm not the one who talks to people about bad behavior. That's the president's job to be the enforcer. That's not the minister's job. I'm the minister. But that went over the line, and it seemed urgent to me. And so that guy got banned. And then I got a call from the Methodist church down the street. <laughs> Do you know this guy? I said, oh, yeah. They said, he's over here, and he's been here just six weeks, and he's making a terrible mess. And I went, yep. I said, we had, to, we had to ban him, and she went, oh, I wish we could do that. <laughs> so in a safe community and a welcoming community, you feel befriended. You feel that your goodwill is assumed, and you feel that other people are treating you with goodwill, even if they're doing something you don't agree with you can feel and trust, I'll use that word now, that they are behaving according to their best light for what is good for the congregation. And that's the atmosphere we want to have here. And I think that our Healthy Relations Covenant says that in other words. I want you to read it, if you can, um, in House and Hall after the service and see uh, what you think. We have ways that we want to treat each other. We aspire to those. We don't always do it perfectly. Sometimes we hurt each other's feelings. Sometimes we step on one another's toes. Sometimes people's feelings get hurt when you disagree with them, even gently. If you're a person whose feelings get hurt when you get disagreed with, then you need to put your feelings away a little more or understand that people are going to disagree with you and it doesn't mean anything bad about you. In another church, we were building a sanctuary and uh, we had a um, facilitator for a discussion about, you know, I can't remember what it was, the floor, the walls, the color, I can't remember. And... Um, this pillar of the church was very adamant that we should do such and such. Can't remember. And someone else disagreed with her. And she said, the facilitator said to her, he was from out of town, Boston or something. He said to her, uh, how are you feeling? And she said, I just feel like I haven't been heard. And he said, well, you were heard. You were just disagreed with. And she, to her credit, went, You're right. We're trying to build a church where people can feel challenged, filled, nourished, transformed, and where they can turn around and do that for other people. In order to do that, we have to feel safe at a basic level. In order to do that, we have to protect ourselves and not throw ourselves unprotected into the net. We're figuring it out. We'll all think about it together. We'll make this the very best church it can be. Please say with me the words by which we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Please sing with me if you care to. I know 
this rose will open. I know my fear will burn away. I know my soul will unfurl its wings. I know this rose will open. Go in peace. That sounded beautiful. This is a presentation of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, visit our website at www.austinuu.org.